Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Many of these kids are very vulnerable and some of them are being exploited. Some of them are being groomed by, you know, drug gangs. Some of them, you know, don't never get to see a foster home um, because they, they end up in, in, you know, basically in prison yeah. from an early age. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just storing up problems for the future. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. It is the shocking report that detailed how young children in the care of the state are being targeted for sex by predatory men. A paper published by academics in UCD detailed how schoolgirls are being coerced into carrying out sex acts in exchange for luxury goods. It describes how gangs of men were hanging around hotel lobbies waiting to prey on vulnerable children who the state is meant to be protecting. But while the paper made headlines for a few days, it has quickly been pushed off the news agenda. I'm Niall Donald, and today I'm talking with Eamon Dillon about how Ireland is failing to protect children and why we are not more outraged about these sickening revelations. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. So it's almost hard to believe when you read in a report called Protecting Against Predators um, that children in state care in Ireland in the 21st century are being routinely targeted by by for sexual exploitation. I mean, it really is. We overuse the term in the Sunday world, no doubt shocking, but it really is shocking. Yeah, it's one of these reports that came out and I, I know there was publicity, but there wasn't a huge amount of, say, let's political discussion or anything, you know, around it. Um, and I think part of that problem is that all these stories that involve Tusla and kids in care are essentially family law and you, you can't name anybody. Um, I mean, there's so many occasions where we've had, you know, just horrific stories where they're watered down to where, you know, to the point where you're saying something happened in a certain part of Ireland and they're going to appear in court again. And that's almost all we can say. And we have to do so little about it. So it doesn't really... You know, we, we, we never get to explore what's behind this. No, and I, uh, that's definitely the case. I mean, but the facts of it, I mean, are genuinely, you know, horrific. Like, I oh, mean, yeah. there's no other way. I mean, just to, to give some of the details that was described, 
I mean, it was said that children in often in, uh, you know, in, in emergency accommodation, which would be hotels, B&Bs, stuff like that. They're being routinely targeted for expect exploitation and abuse by gangs of predatory men. I mean, that in itself is shocking. And it says they're being coerced in, to provide sexual acts, often in exchange for, with multiple men, often in exchange for goods. So really, like, this is the kind of purest form of exploitation that can happen in any society. But the fact is, these children, and they're coming from a, a variety of different backgrounds, these are actually in the care of the state. Yeah. I mean, they should be afforded the protection of the state and this is happening. Yeah, the fact that they're already in care means that they're already vulnerable. And the idea then that they're they're being re-exploited or exploited again is, is quite worrying. Now, sometimes it's possibly down to the, the, the young people's own behavioral issues. Now, this was part of, like, the, the whole report was done by the um, Sexual Exploitation Research Project in UCD. Now, and, and what we're reading now is actually from three years ago. And they, they spoke to different... Um, uh, different workers in various children's charities, um, also for people working for private firms who, you know, carry out contract work for Tusla, looking after people in, in care. And a lot of these kids wouldn't necessarily be in secure care, but they, they wouldn't be, say, suitable for foster for, for a foster family because of their own issues with drug use or self-harming and, and or, you know, or sexualized behavior themselves. But I mean, when some of the anecdotes, you know, from, from some of the, the workers that they interviewed are, you know, they, they leave you cold. I mean, there's one instance, there's, there's one of a 13-year-old girl who, who calls, who um, phones the home to say, you know, she was persuaded to go there by her cousin and effectively she was raped in that apartment by, by people, you know, not necessarily raped by people known to her, but she was certainly lured to that apartment by, by people that were known to her. And th- there was another, another um, worker talked about a case of a young, a young man or a, a young boy with, with uh, learning difficulties who again was was clearly being sexually exploited was disappearing for you know uh, late at night coming back in the mornings uh, would have unexplained sums of money would have video games and you know when it was raised that look this is clearly signs of sex, sexual exploitation it was a it was a case of it would be you know it would be too disruptive to his you know his psychiatric care or his help at this stage to move him to another place and yet the same people are are, are speaking anecdotally about about kids who are, are getting on reasonably well and they're in school and come back to their care home to find all the belongings in a black plastic bags because they've been moved on somewhere else without any warning. Yeah, so see, there's such a, a sense of dysfunction. Yeah, I mean, it, it absolutely is. I mean, they have talked about literally men, grown men, hanging around hotel lobbies where a lot of these kids are being staying, waiting to pick them up. And, you know, it's not um, like a child at, at risk or in a vulnerable circumstance can end up in a you know, terrible or abusive circumstance, but this is something systematic and organized and going on um, and allowed go on in this state. I mean, if you think, and I can't claim uh, uh, total innocence in that we did a podcast on, on RTE, but if you look at, say, the, the scandal of RTE relative to something of this magnitude, um, if you look at the column inches devoted to to, you know, Ryan Tuberty compared with this, like it is, there is something amiss, isn't there, like about? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, like we've spoken with Nicola about this before, about the way, you know, the prison service was always treated as something to, be, to, to try and forget about. And the best way to get promoted 
was to make sure the minister never has to hear about anything going on in the prison service. And you get a sense sometimes that that's the sort of attitude that's that, you know, at a certain level, you know, with, within organizations like Tusla is that, you know, somebody flagging problems is a problem rather than the problems they're flagging being what's at issue. I mean, like one, one of the like one, one of the people interviewed in this report, like, you know, they, they were talking about even the uneven approach that guards would have. They In some areas where there might be a longstanding care facility, they'd have a good relationship with a particular um, guard inspector. And if a kid went missing, they were able to act quickly and they understood what was going on and they'd bring him back. Then in other places, guards are saying, well, why can't you just lock the door? And they were saying, so, well, they're just, they're kids like in any other home. You just don't, you don't lock them in. You know, that's, you're yeah. holding them against their will. And they were ha- having trouble getting their heads around it, and then just stopped going looking for these kids when they were being reported missing. Um, I, like, I mean, now, without getting, trying not to ruin a good story here, like you, you are talking, I think, around about 400 children that are in this kind of emergency care uh, and or secure care, as far as I know. So, I mean, you're not talking thousands and thousands. And then within that, you're talking a smaller amount again who are being possibly targeted or, you know, or they've been groomed to some extent. They don't necessarily feel they're being targeted when they're, you know, they're acting in a sexual way at that age. I mean, like nobody's going to be consenting to anything at the age of 13, 14, 15. Um, but they do talk about like, you know, TUSA do take care of trying to keep the identity, you know, not the identities, but the locations of their 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 care units, like quiet, you know, for the simple reason that they don't want people turning up necessarily, you know, for instance, even, you know, abusive family members or, you know, people targeting. But there was one where they talked about a city, not in Dublin, that there was one close close to the city centre and kind of word had got around among, you know, certain individuals that these girls are there for the picking and yeah. would regularly try and bump into them, you know, when they were going out to buy chips or do what teenage girls do, that these fellas would, would, you know, and often, you know, men in their 20s and 30s. And sometimes, you know, the girls saw this as a bit of status that you should have a boyfriend with a car. Yeah, but um, I mean, this is always, I suppose, and if you go to countries like, you know, I've been in Vietnam and Laos and places like that, you'll see this, um, that, you know, it can be a status symbol, but it's wrong. And, uh, you know, the fact is that those countries exist in deep poverty and that's why these things occur, these exploitative relationships. We're not a poor country by any definition and it's still gone on. I mean, Tanya Ward, the CEO of the Children's Rights Alliance, was on RTE speaking about how 15 unaccompanied minors have gone missing from Tusla's care. I mean, they're gone missing. Nobody knows where they are. That's in, in the last year. I mean, that is, you know, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, it's it can be easy to find these and there's no doubt complicated situations around it, but it should be, a, you know, it should be a, a sort of a national uh, scandal. Now, like Tusla, I mean, my own dealings with them as a journalist, you know, have I've I've I have to say I've I've struggled with them, um, ever to get answers out of them. I know of cases where um, Tusla's own actions could have been called into question and have been called into question, um, in, you know, and I'm still having to speak in code here because I know that these these cases. Tusa had a case to answer for, for the care of a child where sexual crimes were occurred. I mean, they're very, very defensive organization. Um, are they being held to account properly, do you believe? Well, well, I have a similar experience in that there was a case that went on to be quite high, high profile and we'd gotten a, a tip off that something, you know, was going on and was described by people involved as one of the worst cases of child sexual abuse that they'd ever seen. <clears throat> 
And we wrote a very a, a very benign story that, you know... A benign story a, would like, mean there was no names, there was no... There was no names, there was no location. We didn't even suggest what region of the country it was in. We didn't talk about the age of the children. We didn't talk about how many. Um, if there was one or more, we didn't mention the the, the gender of the kids. Nothing, nothing was mentioned. Um, and then we, we ran a follow-up and got a, a, a legal letter then to say that... Uh, uh, an injunction had been taken out after the first article to make sure there was no further coverage of it. But no one had thought to inform us that an injunction had been taken out. So this is, you know, it's quite possibly just one arm of the organization isn't speaking to the other. and you know, But it makes it almost impossible. So when people say, well, why aren't mainstream media or why aren't the Sunday world looking at this? And why aren't they, you know, doing stuff about this story? You know, you know every so often when it comes out, like when you had that retired Judge Sims come out recently talking about his you know, his fears for for being able to, to uh, you know, with, with children not being put into proper places, like being left in, you know, emergency accommodations such as hotels. And he was talking about the potential for lawsuits coming down the road for the state. And people say, well, why aren't we covering it? That's one of the reasons that we, we just can't. I mean, I tell you, like I tell you one thing, right? There's no doubt that Tuzla are understaffed, under pressure. They don't have places to house people. So there's no doubt the organization is on, I mean, I think it, its own CEO described it as a crisis point. Some of that is there's a lack of resources to, no doubt about that. However, every single week I answer the phone in the Sunday world to callers and every single week you will speak to parents who are in family law disputes with Tusla. You know yourself, I mean, you've sat there. There's very little we can do but they always speak about how aggressively Tusa pursued them through the courts. And so although the organization may be understaffed and under-resourced, certainly in their legal uh, avenues, they're, they're, they're not uh, failing there. So, I mean, just to describe the law on, on reporting on these things, <clears throat> basically anything involving a child and, and, and a crime, um, you know, you're not allowed to give anything any details that will identify the child victim. Um, often that can mean because there could be sort of family relationships or whatever, that can mean you can't name the perpetrator either. That's not a, an issue that somebody can sue over. It's a criminal issue where the newspaper will be held responsible and, and could be criminally prosecuted. So when you're looking to talk about these cases, you know, what, it, what you end up with is really, really vague stories. Now. Nobody is saying vulnerable children's identities should be splashed all over, all over the uh, all over the the news. However, you see it differently in England, don't you? You see how how child protection cases can be covered differently and a, in a bit broader in a broader manner. Yeah, I mean, I suppose in a way, like it's 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 very difficult for the media to challenge that type of law. I mean, I think it would it would need different legislation or it needs an agreement to interpret the current legislation the right way or whatever like you know it would take the it would it would take something like media house to go after after the legislation in 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 court and try and battle but you'd be up against the resources of the state yeah and and what would you be doing it for i mean you, you know when you when when you talk about it i mean you might win your case in in one particular story but then find yourself having to do it all over again so like it, re- it really does kind of it really hampers any kind of um kind of free journalism in terms of being able to, to write about these cases. And I, I mean, there's just so many, like, oh, uh, there was a case um, 
it was even before I think I was in the Sunday world when I was working for another newspaper. And it was a 15-year-old who was found dead of a heroin overdose here on Talbot Street um, yeah. in, in a B&B at the time. Um, and I had been speaking to another family whose son was in the same facilities and they, they had known her. She'd been in and out of their house and they were trying to say, they were trying to raise attention. Like this is 20 plus years ago. They were yeah. trying to raise attention about certain things like where you only had security guards on duty in some of these secure facilities at night. Like their their son, um, you know, and this stuff has been printed. They they spoke to me at the time, and they believe he had been sexually abused by an uncle, and you know was came to the attention of the guards at the age of nine when he burnt down a church, and you know has continued into you know a life of crime, a life of like seriously disruptive behaviour. Like I'm, I think I'm pretty sure he's currently in prison at the minute. Um, but the the 15 year old girl, like she was found dead. She had been fostered to a family in South County, Dublin, and ended up in a nice school, but couldn't get beyond like her, her, her basic issues. And when her foster family couldn't handle things, you know, care orders were made and she was, she was put into these, she was put into one, one particular secure facility where this other boy had been. And they were talking about, you know, just, there was no social workers, there was no specialists, there was nobody there to, to help, you know, deeply troubled teenagers to get through what they needed to get through until they got to some point in their life where they could, you know, start to understand themselves. I mean, like dealing with an ordinary teenager, you yeah. know, like you do a certain amount of saving them from themselves. Like, you know, if you let a your average 12-year-old will do a 36-hour stint on an Xbox, no problem. So if you have somebody, you know, like at 13 or 14 who has a cocaine problem, like, yeah. can you imagine trying to go through that well, as, I mean, a, as a regular not, parent? Look, it's actually terrifying. And that's... I mean, you get to the heart of it there. There's no necessarily simple answers to complex, complex problems. However, one of the better answers is foster care. Um, because, and and that was mentioned by uh, retired Judge Sims as well, that, that you know, putting kids in, in sort of residential settings, children's homes, where there's big groups of kids in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in one facility overseen by, you know, people on rotation, on shift work. Like that is obviously less ideal than having kids in with stable families. You know, having children in stable families gives them a better chance. I think everybody could agree on that. However, like what are we doing for for foster families? Um, I think it was, I can't remember when they were on Joe Duffy recently, there was a number of foster families uh, complaining about how, you know, I think it was since the 1990s, there'd be no raise in the, in the, 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 the price given to foster families who are paid by the state, how loads of them complained about how if they make complaints to Tusla, they, they, they have kids taken off them, put back into the system that they find Tusla really, really difficult to deal with. That if they if they make uh, if they ask for a request, say for holidays and cover, that's not granted to them. You know that you know this the, the system is failing on all levels. And you know whatever about getting in more social workers, which everybody agrees is a good idea. Like surely some of our resources of this government, you know, which we're still a, a rich country should go to support foster families. And there's no doubt about it, foster families are not happy about how they're being treated. Yeah. And I mean, like when you consider that we are, you know, we are genuinely a wealthy nation. And I think there was even the UN Committee on the Rights of Children were expressing concerns recently about children's rights in Ireland. 
And they were kind of surprised to find that there was, you know, uh, our ability to uphold the rights of these troubled kids was being hampered by a lack of resources. Yeah. Um, and, and, but even for, you know, people kind of saying, well, you know, what's, you know, it's too expensive, you know, the amount of care and attention you need. But again, to bring it back to the crime side of it, like again, more than two decades ago, I wrote, I think we called it the Club 400 or the Club 800 story in, in the Sunday world. And there was eight or nine young people at that time who between them had 800 convictions in and around Dublin City and Dublin South City. Uh, two of whom were, were the Dumbrells at the time. Yeah. Another of whom was um, McNally of the Zambra Gang in 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 Crumlin. Oh, I, I, I sorry, I just can't remember off the top of my head some of the others. But they all went on to be like seriously dangerous criminals. Like, so how much money, you know, would have been saved to the state if there had been the intervention that was possibly needed when they were five, six, or seven, rather than waiting till they end up, you know, w- with serious, you know, drug issues you know, literally running amok. And I mean, you know, when you look at what happened in, in you know, in Dublin city centre over the last week, and even even last night, there's videos of more fights emerging. And, you know, people are, are going to be kind of talking about it before because, you know, we work in the area and yeah. you almost get used to it. Like if you see a scuffle on the street, you kind of, you, you kind of ignore it or you see a pool of blood sometimes. You yeah. actually don't think twice about it. Oh, I mean- you just become inured to it, which is wrong. Because like if you're going, if you're in some nice parts of town, you'd be saying, "Oh my God, there was there was a scuffle outside Kildare House or outside, I don't know, somewhere somewhere very nice, <laughs> like yeah. on the south side." So like, why should people who live here and work here have to tolerate that? I mean, it's not it's not it's certainly not well, fair to the kids who are growing up in the area. Well, I'd ask this, right? You know, as you said, like we we work in Talbot Street, go out ev- there every day, you can see things happening. Last week, obviously, there was a. Deeply tragic incident that a 57-year-old American uh, sustained really serious injuries and remains in hospital. For whatever reason, that has caught the eye of the public. And we've had Helen McEntee down on on Talbot Street. We've had Michal Martin talking about Talbot Street. We've had various other people all over the media talking about it. It's no different than what you see all the time. I mean, it's for whatever reason... Because it's somehow, you know, maybe the circumstances of that man that he was over looking for his Irish family, it caught the public attention. As a result, some change will occur. Some focus on the problems of of the Talbot Street area will occur. And that's a good thing. Unfortunately, this report that we're speaking about, about, you know, young women in particular, young girls being, being routinely targeted and exploited by men, it's not going to catch the same amount of attention. And that's that's a really, really sad thing. And that's not to say that that American tourist, you know, that that's in, a, in some way less tragic or undeserving of attention. Of course, it's deserving of attention. It's just, and some of that is due to the problems of how these things are reported and also the accountability. I mean, that happened, that's a violent act on a, on a 57-year-old man. We have people standing up in the in the doll being questioned about it. We have Helen McEntee being doorstepped. Um, we have the the victim's family speaking. Some in some way, this isn't happening in this other case involving yeah. the girls. You and know, I mean, and it, even if you remember, just a couple of years ago, there was the "Ah, here, leave it out" video. Yeah, that went went viral and it was a funny haha video. But yeah. it was somebody like getting their head kicked in yeah. on, on Talbot Street. Yeah. Like, it was a seriously violent video. Yeah. But the joke was, 
about you know the, the lady with the with the strong North Dublin accent, like yeah. shouting at one of yeah. the men to stop kicking the fellow on the ground. Yeah, but I suppose what's different with the American tourists being badly injured and attacked like that is that being typically Irish, we're we're very. I, I suppose we're easily embarrassed when something happens to foreigners, like you know. And and if you look at if you look at um, the GoFundMe page, it's full of Irish people apologising to the Americans, apologising to you know Stephen Termini's family, and uh, you know and and to the people who apologising to the people who set up the page, um, offering their twenty euro, their 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 30, 30, 40, 50 euro, and it was an incredible amount of money. They set the target at ten thousand, and it was yeah. it was close to the hundred thousand the last time I looked. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that that will, I think, possibly, you know, cause Ireland to to to, to look the Irish government or, or the people even to look more closely at the issue that we're talking about today is the fact that you have, say, you know, a UN committee pointing out the fact we're not upholding children's rights, and the fact that you know there there isn't enough psychiatric care, there isn't you know the CAM service, which is they're terribly boring stories in one way to try and talk yeah. about in a newspaper, but like they're incredibly. Like they do incredibly serious work and have helped so many people, yeah. like at, at a at a small level, um, you know, you know. But but that's how you do it. It's like ants, you know. You, you have to do it bit by bit, and even like there's another area again which we've spoken on before at about the the area of people trafficking and sex trafficking. And Ireland still has a, an embarrassing tier two status. We don't have a tier one status because we don't do enough about it. Where you have you still have seven hundred you know women and men being advertised in sex for sale services you know sex for sale websites in Ireland, and yet there, there's been a handful of cases and they they fully thought that you know a case last year in Mullingar was going to be enough to get us back up to tier one status. And this this is something that the Americans you know you know come up with in terms of you know gauging a, 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 a you know a country's willingness to take on human trafficking. So we've got now two minimum we've got two foreign bodies saying. We're not doing enough in these areas that people normally, traditionally, we've kind of tried to forget about and leave it alone. Like it's going to go away. Nobody wants to be involved in that kind of work. You know, it's a bit too tricky. It's too hard. Yeah. Whereas we need to, we we need to make it not hard for people who want to help these troubled kids. In other words, one person isn't left with a, with a stupid caseload. You know that there's whole teams of people looking after it and they're able to discuss it and share the burden. Yeah, and I mean, it has to be. There has to be a public accountability by the people. Like you know. Tutsla primarily, in my opinion, that are in charge of this. It may be that they don't have the resources to deal with it, but there has to be a bit more accountability. Just to quote um, Dr. Mary Canning, who wrote that report um, about the, the, the girls being exploited, she says, as a society, we tend to shy away from things and a discomfort with naming rape as rape and naming sexual assault as sexual assault. We have so much evidence of the silence that has occurred in Ireland in, in the past, in particular with children. People just want to look away because they are so uncomfortable in thinking this can happen to children in our country. And of course, we do look back on things like the mother and baby homes with great shame and great, uh, you know, a great sense that this is something in the past. It's not as in the past as we would like to think, in my opinion. Um, how children are being treated in care is, you know, it's gravely wrong in many occasions. It's admitted by the state to be gravely wrong. Even Tusa will admit some of it is gravely wrong. Um, but, you know, I don't know if it's being treated as an emergency, you know? No, no, it's not. And it's going to come to bite us on the butt in the future because, like, you know, certainly many of these kids are very vulnerable and some of them are being exploited. Some of them are being groomed by, you know, drug gangs. Some of them, you know, don't never get to see a foster home 
um, because they, they end up in, in, you know, basically in prison yeah. from an early age. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're just, we're just storing up problems for the future. Like there, there was a, like, this is going back again a little while, but there was, there was a, a former college pal of mine and starting their first job in, in a, in a major city in this country as a social worker kind of, you know, was told she got the job and you could head off now to, this is the office, you know, yeah. where you're going to be. So, you know, you're going to start in whatever, two or three weeks time. So turns up at the address <clears throat> and knocks on the door and yep, it, you're up and you guys are up on the third floor, walks up to the third floor or whatever it was and kind of finds, you know, a whole bunch of empty offices with files on, and so on yeah. on desks. And, and this is where it was related to me and eventually find somebody and said, hi, I'm, I'm one of the new social work teams says, where should I start? And the answer from somebody was pick a file. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Hello and welcome to your first day. Exactly. And uh, I mean, who, who's going to want to do that kind of who's work? Gonna, exactly. And I mean, it's, you know, are we the social workers? There's many brilliant, brilliant social workers who take great risks and, you know, are so committed. Um, but, you know, it has to be said as an organization, it's not working. I mean, I remember somebody contacting me to do a story. They're, they had a younger sibling in care. That sibling had suffered abuse in care. And um, I remember sending in a few press inquiries to the to Tusla, and I remember getting back uh, legal threats rather than answers. You know, and I mean, this is this is a problem. That's a journalist problem. It's not the the core of the problem. Uh, the core of the problem is that you have to have an accountable system there when these things are going wrong. Um, but look, you know, it's it's. I think it's I think it's shocking. Really, I do think it's shocking. No, I, th- I think it, I, I, one of the reasons why I suppose, you know, people don't dwell on it is because it's so shocking. And, yeah. and if you start thinking about it in terms of your own kids or your grandkids, yeah. like you, you wouldn't be able to sleep at night. No. And yet <clears throat> we're, we're letting this pass by. When we get a chance to write about it, we just can't. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's uh, it's good to, to speak about this and it's maybe something we will come back to and, you know, maybe see if we can find another way to investigate and look at this again in, yeah. in the future. It's a hard, it's a grim stuff, so hopefully we haven't disappointed too many people <laughs> well, who normally yeah. <laughs> the, the more the chirpier version of Crime World. To, yeah, who want to see Nicola bully me. <laughs> bully deserved now. Yeah. Thanks, Em. You're welcome. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from Sundayworld.com produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.